0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I have kind of a gross habit that the monks, some of the priests, they'll make fun of me for, and I'll share it with you. When I eat cereal, I pour the cereal, and then I pour the milk, and then I wait like 20 minutes, because I want it to get soggy, because I like cereal soggy because it's better. Sometimes I'll even put it in a glass cup, the cereal in a glass cup, and then I'll put the milk in it, wait 20 minutes, wait wait for it to get soggy, and then just drink the cereal. Yes, okay. Now I understand this is a disorder, and I'm okay with that. But I'm only using this as an imagery for what I think is uh, more like what the New Testament uh, portrays as sin. The nature of sin is more like that than what we generally think sin is. Generally, we think of sin as we commit a sin and it's a crime against God and it's a crime against other people, it's a crime against the law and therefore there's a juridical uh, sentence kind of hanging over our head waiting to come down on us and crush us. And so we bear the, the, the guilt, the weight of the guilt of sin. We bear that very heavy. And I'll tell you, from my pastoral experience as a priest, there are kind of two extremes uh, that people go with sin. The common thing is sin. Sin is common. Everybody's a sinner. And there are two extremes, and they're very common extremes, that people fall into in relation to the sins that they've committed, because... Again, most people believe sin is like this sentence just kind of weighing over our heads and, and bearing us down like this. The two extremes are, on the one hand, people will become totally lax about it. They'll, they'll just kind of be overburdened by the sin so much that they'll say, you know what, it's not, it's not even that big of a deal anymore. I'm not going to worry about it anymore at all. And they become kind of presumptuous, and they don't take seriously enough the, the harm that sin does to their own lives or to the lives of the people around them and they just become completely licentious. They just feel like they can do anything without any guilt because they've blocked themselves off from feeling guilt anymore because they've felt it so deeply. The other extreme is that the guilt will actually weigh them down so much that they fall into a kind of isolationist despair where they don't value their life anymore. They become depressed and overly anxious and just go completely dark, essentially. Both of these extremes are equally harmful to the soul. Both of them kill the soul at the end of the day. But both of them are based on the view of sin as this decreed sentence hanging over our heads, crushing us down. The reaction to it is either one of these two extremes. What is sin described as in the New Testament? The word for sin most commonly used in the New Testament in Greek, in the original text, is hamartia. And hamartia is eating cereal from a glass cup waiting 20 minutes after you pour the milk. Hamartia is missing the mark. Hamartia, me, literally that's what the word means, missing the mark, to commit an error, to do something that's not meant to be done. Essentially, using something in a way that it's not meant to be used for. Cereal is supposed, supposedly, according to people, uh, meant to be eaten crunchy, okay? Uh, that's the most common way, that's the, the purpose of it. When you use it in a, in a way not according to its own constitution, then you're using it in a disordered way, and that's the idea of sin. Sin, hamartia, hamartia in Greek means to miss the mark, and therefore to use something in a, in a way that is not meant to be used, according to the design and the original intention of God. So that sin, from that understanding, is not this decree, not this kind of criminal act that uh, is going to um, bring down on us some kind of punishment from God, but sin is something that's harming us. Sin is sin because it's bad for us, because we're missing the mark, because we're not doing what we're meant to be doing as human beings. So for example, in the Gospel reading today, Jesus is walking with his disciples on the Sabbath day. Remember that the Sabbath day is the day of rest, it's the day of the Lord, it's the holy day. And in the original commandments of God, the Sabbath day is to be a day of rest where you don't work. That's That's your day off, where you spend the time with God, you glorify God in prayer, and you spend time with your family and you basically take a day off, a day of rest, so that you can rejuvenate yourself in the Lord and then you can go back on the first day of the week and restart your week, strengthened by the Sabbath day and the rest therein. Well, that law kind of got developed over the centuries, and they developed it to the point where you can't do really anything. Any kind of manual labor labor or anything that resembles it can't be done, and it's breaking the law of God now on the Sabbath day, to the point where even today, uh, really Orthodox Jews are not allowed even to flip a light switch today. In the time of Christ, we see the extremity of the example in the Gospel reading here. The disciples of Jesus are plucking heads of grain, just heads of grain. They're just taking them off and they're eating them. And the Pharisees interpret that as work violating the law of God that says it's a day of rest. This is a development to the point of corruption, basically because we have now straight off the original intention God's original intention of the commandment the commandment is there because it's good for human beings to worship God it's good for human beings to take to take a day off in the week and to worship God and to rest with their families with their loved ones and to kind of reground themselves in reality and not just be running around busy all the time, but to strengthen oneself in God and in rest so that we can attack the rest of the week again. That's the original intention, and it's supposed to give us a foretaste of heaven. The Sabbath day is the day of God. It's supposed to give us a day of heaven where we will rest with God and with our loved ones for all of eternity, where the effort and the labor and the burden that comes with work will now cease And we just live in this eternal rest with him. Taking it away from its original intention is to make it a legalistic thing. It's to make it a codified thing. It's to make it a thing just on rules. And when we live a life based just on rules for the sake of rules, the law for the sake of the law, then the lawgiver, God, is just a judge. And when we view our God as merely a judge who has his laws over our head waiting to crush us down the minute that we break one of them, even slightly so, what is that going to do to our spirituality? At all times, we're going to be anxious. At all times, we're going to be afraid. At all times, we're going to be weary and tired because our freedom is taken away from us. The love for God is taken away from us by the fear and the the, the trembling that we have before him. The willingness to follow the rules of God, the the will of God, is going to be taken away from us because of the weight of the sentence hanging over our head. Rather, sin, understood by the New Testament, not understood by the English word, understood by the word hamartia, sin as a disorder that harms us, Sin as missing the mark that is bad for us and that it's a sin because it's bad for us, not just because God says so. God says so because it's bad for us. Sin understood in this way should give us a whole new light as to how how God approaches goodness and evil in relation to human beings. Why he says what is good and why he commands us to do so. Why he says sin is sin and why he commands us against it. It's only because it's Good, good things are good for us, and sin is bad for us, and it harms us. So that doing something disordered to ourselves over and over again is going to take away from us. And in fact, that's the kind of imagery that's given by many spiritual writers. That sin chisels away at our humanity. It just chisels away at our personhood. It chisels away, therefore, at our wholeness and at our integrity. And it makes us something less than we were intended to be by God, and therefore unhappy. This is how we can understand the title of Jesus as our, as our Savior in the sense that he is the restorer of all, of all things. St. Paul uses this language that God restores all things in Christ. And what he means by that is when God created the world and everything in it and humanity as the crown jewel of all of creation, everything was perfect. Everything was doing what it was meant to do. Everything was in its spot where it was supposed to be. Nothing strayed from its original intention and everything was perfectly harmonious like a beautiful symphony. Each thing is different than the other and yet each is playing its part and each is contributing to the whole exactly the way it's supposed to. But that when human beings, by the instigation of the devil, committed a sin, chaos entered into the world, disorder entered into the world, and that original harmony that God created, that beauty that God created, has now been besmirched by the ugliness of sin, by the ugliness of disorder. And now things are beginning to fall apart. That's kind of the idea. So that when Jesus, and his obedience to God the Father, and love for God, and humanity dying for us on the cross, that act of obedience, and that act of love, is the beginning of the restoration of all things. And the culmination is in the resurrection, and finally, the second coming of Jesus. When all things will come back to the way God wanted them to be, and will be even greater than what God intended. What that means for you and I, however, brothers and sisters, is that our understanding of sin should develop in this way. Sin not, not because you're going to be punished. The consequence of sin is its own punishment. In fact, sin is its own punishment. An example of this would be a man on drugs. That he did drugs at all, is its own punishment. It is a reduction of his humanity. It is a killing of his dignity as a human person. It is eventually an enslavement of himself to this thing that he once enjoyed. That in itself is consequence enough. God doesn't have to throw down lightning bolts from heaven. Simply committing the sin is its own punishment. Sin not, not because God is going to punish us by firing us from our job, because God is going to wipe away some of our family members, because God is going to take away our house or do something financially or otherwise materially to us. No, this is not what God is going to do in all likelihood. He'll only do that in order to move us to repentance, in order to move us to goodness again. But that's not a punishment, that's a good thing. The bad thing is the sin and the the consequence, the natural consequence of sin straying off from our original constitution the way God intended us to be, and therefore, causing, being the cause of our own unhappiness and our own withering away. The mission of Christ then, I think is symbolized very beautifully by the Gospel reading, towards the end of the Gospel reading, where Jesus walks, goes into the synagogue and he sees a man with a withered hand and the Pharisees test him, they want to catch him on something, And they ask him, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Their answer is no, because it's an an act, it's a work. Even if it's a good thing, their answer is a no, because it's breaking this kind of arbitrary law that they developed. Jesus says, you're hypocrites. If If your sheep fell into a hole, you would pick them up, even on the Sabbath day, because you don't want to lose your money. How much more value is a man than a sheep? And so Jesus restores the man's withered hand and it makes it whole like the other. That's a great symbol for what Jesus has done for the world and for humanity. It's been withered because of sin. We have withered ourselves away because of our sins. The world has been withered away because of the sins of man. And yet Christ, the God man comes, the perfect man comes and he restores all things in his cross and resurrection. And what was once withered away is now being restored so that that it will become whole again as it was according to God's original intention. Amen.